you don't have to have the title to be a leader. Some of the people that have shaped our footy club and team and performance and culture haven't had titles along the way, but have been been able to really influence what we are. Welcome to Building Teams with Matt Nunn. As a coach and as a leader of 150 people, Matt loves to build and lead strong teams. From CEOs to professional athletes, join him as he has honest, candid conversations about how to cultivate strong teams. Proudly presented by Nun Media, Australia's largest media buying agency. Hello and thanks for joining me. I'm Matt Nunn. On today's episode of Building Teams, I'm speaking with Andrew Mackey. Andrew is a former AFL player who played 280 games for the Geelong Cats and three-time All-Australian played for 15 years before retiring in 2017. In that time, he won an impressive three premierships with the Cats. Since retiring, Andrew has joined the recruitment team at the Cats and is currently working as their list manager. When he's not busy wrangling players, he's spending time with his wife, Georgia, and their four kids. Andrew joins me in the studio. Welcome, mate. Nani, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thanks. I'd just like to start, just understand a little bit about your upbringing, your sport, your schooling, your footy in Adelaide. Yeah, so I was the youngest of three boys, born and raised in Adelaide. Loved any type of sport, to be honest. Like, I was one that would have a go at anything, basketball, soccer, whatever it was going, I, I was amongst it. Loved it. Was always enjoyed the team aspect of, of the things that I did. You know, even if we were playing uh, tennis or something like that, you know, as much as I loved playing sport and being active, uh, the, the team element of sport really appealed to me. And what about through, through high school? How did your introduction to footy happen? Pretty much ingrained through school. Like if we were, footy was the winter and cricket was the summer. It was the old school way. A lot of people my age, it was similar, you know, the the winters and summers and I was no different. As time went on through the mid-teens, I didn't do as many of the other sports. I started to drop off a couple of the other ones and focused in on, not through a thought that, oh yeah, I'm going to make a living out of this, but just the, the, I suppose, the time and the overlapping. Yeah, the school was really well set up. I was at a school in Adelaide, Sacred Art College, that promoted sport, in particular footy. They were a really strong footy culture school. A lot of talented sportsmen were at that school. And from six to nine, it was actually just boys. You know, it was just we were mucking around with boys out in the schoolyard and playing footy on the weekend. And that's just what it was. It was sort of the way the way it was, the norm. You know, it wasn't everyone's cup of tea, but for a majority of, of us, that, that was how it was for a number of years. After not attending the 2002 draft camp, you'll pick number seven. Was that much of a surprise or did you have a lot of interest from outside clubs outside of Geelong or were you sort of a, a stashed away pick? I was really lucky. In my year 12 year, we had a lot of talented footballers, a lot of guys in the pathways, the state system. And it was at a time where school footy started to become more of a recruiter's sort of network. They were going to a lot of games, a lot of the I was at a, at a school where we played weekends against some other schools, which is mainstream now in Victoria and around the country, but it sort of hadn't really kicked off too much as far as the recruiters going to those games just yet. So I just got caught in the whitewash, I suppose. The, the, a lot of recruiters were going to watch some other guys in our school footy team, and I happened to show a little bit. I was skinny, raw, showed a little bit of skill in probably a flexibility of positions, and by the end of that year, the year 12 year, although I hadn't played uh, any representative football, you know, the state system and that, because they, they do pick those squads or teams from probably six months or 12 months ago, 
through that. Uh, so no state footy. And then by the end of year 12, it wasn't a surprise, the, the draft stuff to me. I suppose under wraps from our end, we, by the end of it, we were talking to a lot of clubs, most of them, if not all, you know, it was something that I suppose being out of the spotlight from not in the system allowed us to be be able to go through that process in a bit of a, a discreet way, I suppose. And for me, that was great. It was, you know, there was no expectation on anyone, no externals. You know, I'd be lying if I was to say, wouldn't have been disappointed if we didn't get drafted on draft day because... When you're trying to do exams and the end of year 12, you start to think, shit, what would life be like as an AFL player? And, you know, how, how am I going to go about it? So I was in that headspace, but lucky enough for me, I, I wouldn't change a thing, the pathway getting there as far as the um, not being in the state system. And did you have any other fellow students at the school that got drafted? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had a guy called Nick Smith, went to Melbourne. David King, a kid, he went to Collingwood. Jason for pleasure, played a lot of footy at the Adelaide Crows. Not only those guys, we had a really talented group that didn't get drafted. We, yeah, I was lucky with our year 12 team didn't lose a game and I think the closest in I got was six or seven goals and had a great camaraderie. We had a lot of fun off the field. It was a great time in my life. You know, we, uh, back in year 12, you have the house parties going on and um, we're all walking around like we uh, owned the joint, but yeah, it was good fun. You had a huge career winning three premierships along the way. That's not something you can do without a really strong team culture. Really love to hear from your point of view what makes a great team and what are those sort of key ingredients? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one where, you know, we'll we'll get to my current role, but um, what we continue to try and strive for and try and be at the footy club now, there's a few elements to me. You know, clearly there's the, the, the attributes from the player, the skill level involved. There's a, uh, a right mix involved from an on-field point of view. I'm, I'm big on investing into time off the field to make sure that when pressure moments come or when you're under some adversity on the field or you need to have each other's backs, so that, that relationship, that stuff that comes out in a pressure situation is done previously and investing into the time with your, your teammates and, and making sure that the relationship's at a level where it does hold you in good stead when, when it is needed. Now, that, that doesn't mean that everyone has to be best mates with each other, but it does mean a mutual respect, and I think that's something that stems from, I reckon, having some pretty honest conversations, honest with each other as far as what we expect of each other. So there's two things you've got to talk about is expectations and, and then how is someone you know going with that. It helps with the accountability piece, and then if they're not aligning to what, is expected of them, that one, they've got to know it. And then the secondly, if they're deviating from what is expected, how, how do we make sure that we get the person to a level that, that we expect and, and they probably expect themselves? So the conversations around that are really important. And I think you know, it's not just one style. I think it takes a, a mix of everything. If you're going to have a really forthright, hard conversation, there's, there needs to be follow-up with that, whether that's on the field, off the field. I always, always said um, some of the biggest sprays that we've had down the field, you know, and at times they could be personal, but geez, they had some cut through, but it was really important that the follow-up, you know, whether it be sitting in the shower after the game or Monday coffee or the Sunday morning recovery or whatever it was, that, that we actually talked about it and, and worked through, you know, whether it was me having that conversation or someone giving it to me, why they got to that, and then we could bounce, bounce off each other as to how we're going to get better and why did you think that and what did you want more of me? those sort of things. I think having the conversation and then the next conversation around putting the framework around is really important. So what was the most honest conversation you had personally with a leader at the club? 
that sort of took you by surprise or shaked you up a bit? Through coaches you really really respect or, or players you really respect, I think a group of players came to me and uh, felt that probably I've been here two or three years, core senior players and ones that I really respected, just felt like I was going through the motions a bit. When we're able to sit down and hear that, it's uh, quite confronting at the time. If I look back now as a 37-year-old with the career, I was able to have, that was a pivotal moment for me because I needed to hear that I wasn't doing what was expected of, of me. Now, the, the team, we weren't flying at that time. So there was, a, I suppose, a personal interest from those guys as to you can help our team here if you are willing to do X, Y, and Z. And to, to actually hear what that is and was really important. So then, like I said before, then the framework around go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start to get busy in the gym. I'm going to get my fitness to a level that allows me to get to a lot of contests so that when I get the footy that I can help the team link up and do all those sort of things. One thing I'm proud of, uh, I was able to take that on board you know, as time went on, even in that year, or even the next few months following those conversations, it actually, it actually helped our relationship. The honesty involved there meant that I could then go back to those guys and say, you know, how am I going with this? And so I broke, broke down barriers from players at a senior level to try and, um, you know, get the most out of myself, which in turn actually helps the team. So, Andrew, in talking about, you know, having honest conversations, you know, with players or staff, can you give me an example of where you've got a sort of a positive effect from that? When you look at different environments, and I've only worked at the Geelong Footy Club, and so I've I've seen this evolve, and it's something that when you look at other clubs, or you know, I get asked all the time around businesses, and they um, you know might have something bubbling away from a cultural point of view or the environment, they might be having some issues with some people. The parallel between a footy club and and a footy team and a high performing business or company is the conversations that you have. And, and I think to avoid those corridor conversations that start to groundswell and get people involved and talking, I think is really important. You know, I think nipping stuff on the butt is really important early, bringing the right people in on the conversation. So having, having management leaders who are able to identify that, you know, there is something bubbling away, there might be something that needs dealing with and actually getting onto that straight away. Like I could talk from my experience in, um, you might know that someone, a teammate might be just going out too much. You know, we might have a curfew in place. Used to, we sort of don't have them anymore. But what the team might have been asking of someone might be doing going outside of that and just the channels around how you bring them in for conversation and, and who is part of that. So if I was talking to a young leader, it's one of the best skills is actually listening. So have, having people that... If I know a leader is listening, I can go and talk to them and it's going to get dealt with straight away. So have those conversations really early on in the piece, bring them in. The biggest issues that, that happen are, are people just thinking, oh, it, it'll, it'll evolve and they'll work it out. I think people need to understand that every now and then you've got to hold someone's hand in those pressure situations. Not everyone's up for a, um, a point-in conversation or a chat that might feel uncomfortable, but that, that's... You know, it's in people's nature that they often don't like those ones. But the really good organisations, they can actually thrive in those situations and they use that as a, as a learning situation for the people. And then I touched on it earlier around the, the hard conversations had from an on-field point of view. The follow-up to those is the most crucial thing, you know. Like it's all well and good to, to have that initial one where you identify 
a problem or what's going on or in that case, you know, someone might be hitting the town a bit much more than probably what they should have and it's, you know, not optimal to a healthy athlete. But it's then it's then the follow-up conversation. I touched on this before, like, you know, at times it was there was some heat the moment stuff that gets got said in a game, but in the showers we're able to talk about it and actually put it on the agenda to say, okay, what were you thinking there? And it's no different to, you know, the four walls in a workplace. Yeah. So after th- three premierships, many of your leaders sort of retired over th- sort of that period. How did Geelong transition away from Harley and Link? Yeah, well, a sign of a good workplace, good culture, good leaders, if anyone's away at any point in time, the system or the show still goes on. Now, clearly you see that with teams where from externals, they might or media or whatever might say, oh, a big name player's out now. Yes, you always want your, your gun players to be playing, but it's no different to culturally and in the four walls where emotional intelligence is really important in all this. People that just read the play on what a certain player needs. Does he need the whack? Does he need the cuddle? Does he need some more direction? There is learning methods where they need to be. What they did was we had a really good uh, group around those guys. So off the back of them, they were able to bring a lot of people on board. So we were sort of flowing and in the motion of next tier down, had a big bunch of guys who were able to pick up the slack. You don't replace people, but your system can evolve and keep moving. And that, and that's that's what we try and be now. And that's, that's what happened then. If you're strictly looking at a uh, on-field footy performance point of view, we just had a lot of plays in the zone. You know, Hawkins and Selwood and these sorts of guys were at an age where they were ready to keep going and come through and take ownership of the team going forward. And I think that's really important. There's always there's always someone that might come out of a shadow. You might not even know about it until the time's right, but all you can do is provide a foundation and environment which actually allows them to thrive and grow. So would you say, you know, coming off the back of Cameron Ling as captain, I think the next captain was Joel? It was, yeah. Did he take on a lot of those characteristics or did he have his own sort of style or flair or was it very similar from a cultural point? All those three guys, and I played Stephen King was captain as well in my time, and all the leaders I've had have their own unique styles. that They've got to match them as people. Now, they're, they're all totally different people. There's some common denominators that probably profound and, and stands out to me, you know, that the drive, the inner drive of the person to actually get the most out of themselves for a start, which then fed off to everyone else, you know, in particular Joel, so driven, you know, from day one when he came in, had no accolades as a, as a footballer, was injured in his draft year, but came in and he was just in a rush. His, his work rate and ability to push the limits from a physical point of view, just earn respect straight away. Now, everyone's not a Joel Selwood. There's, there's only one of him. But from there, he had respect. So then he was able to channel that in a way which could then make sure he could bring others along on the journey. And if you were to ask him, I've got no doubt that Harley and Ling, he's picked up bits and pieces along the way from guys like them that helped him be, you know, the captain that, that he continues to be now. Just talking about Joel for a second, how would you describe his leadership and how has it sort of changed from early days to probably now? Uh, a lot more wholesome now than probably early days. He's a really big on understanding the person as far as Joel's very generous with his time. He invests a lot of time during the week to make sure that people are in a, a really good headspace around what needs to be done from a performance point of view. He links it really tightly with performance. Joel sees where what our team might need and what certain people might be able to really help that. So many times that you see him on 
days off or after training or times when no one else is around but he's catching up with someone and actually working out, you know, trying to understand them a bit more and then directly linking that with, okay, you know, how are we going to get to where you need to be? All in the back of his mind is, you know, how are we going to make this team better? How's, how's this club going to be better? And he's got a really good connection with certain people to be able to try and bring them along on that journey. Now, I, I spoke around his training and, and how hard he is there. There's no one I've seen that has been able to do that over such a long period of time like Joel Selwood. I've seen hard trainers, but to be able to do it on a consistent level and basis that didn't matter when it was, games, training, he just continued to push himself. Just following on from that, obviously, you know, it's probably quite topical at the moment, Joel and Danger that probably are looking to retire in the next coming years. Obviously, a lot of experience is going to come out of the team. So what preparation or how will look to replace that leadership in years to come? There's not another Joel Selder in there. There's not another Patrick Dangerfield. What the guys before him did and what those guys are able to do and have been able to build up is bring others along on their journey. And when the time's right, they've let people in. And through the discussions that they have about caring for others, other people are learning off them. And so we've got a group of players who it's got to be a collective sort of thing. There's, As I said, there's no one person that can replace a like for a like. But everyone who is in the organisation, whether it be um, a footballer or the footy staff, we'd like to make, make sure that the people we have in the four walls and in the corridor, that can make sure they add to, to what we are. So who would be the handful of potential candidates that might be Geelong's next leadership group or, or captain or vice-captain? Or Yeah, we've got a large number. Like If you look at the leadership group, you've got Tommy Stewart there, Paddy's there. Hawks obviously been in it, but he plays a massive role in that. Jeremy Cameron, Mitch Duncan, Blitzarves, Jack Henry, and whatever happens in in the near future will be a group of people to take the club forward and drive that the standards and uh, the behaviours of what we want to be day in day out. So you've had a lot of success. I'm interested more probably around some of your failures, what you've learned from it, or how you dealt with it. The failures around probably more around performance where the times where I wasn't able to to be at a level where I would have liked to have been or losing you know losing grand final in 2008 or losing a couple of prelims you know they always test you out from a mental point of view they see what uh, what you've got in under yourself and then they they test you out what what you can do when you bounce back from that or or how you bounce back from that stuff 2008 we played really good footy, weren't able to win the premiership. So it was just a matter of what's my role in this to help us get back to what we want to do. And clearly that is giving yourself a really good base from a training point of view, making sure that you're um, giving yourself the best opportunity when training starts to push the limits, push yourself. And I think as a collective, we're able to be in that mindset. And that really helped us in 2009, ended up winning the grand final that year. 2008, I don't know how we would have gone winning that 2009 grand final if we didn't, if we had already won 2008. That took every bit of beating that St Kilda team, so well drilled, quality players everywhere. And, and it was such a fierce game on, on the day. That actual grand final was one of the toughest games of footy have played in. We weren't satisfied. We wanted to keep winning. We wanted to have premierships next to our name to justify the quality of footy that we were playing and the work we were putting in. And yeah, it wouldn't have sat well like if we just finished off with winning that 2007 one. So what keeps Andrew Mackey up at night? Just what my role is within this footy club and how I can be doing it 
to another level and always trying to learn and what little bits about myself that I want to tweak and, and improve, I suppose, and, and in turn what that means for my role as loose manager and the influence that I can have on the footy department. The work staff and the family staff's really great. Keeps keeps me busy. So then my night time is sort of the chance, probably the only time I get to reflect on where I'm at in this whole scheme of, you know, your life, the holistic life. So are you a worrier or or, a, or very relaxed? I'm sort of in solution mode if I'm in that. Yeah, no, I try not to worry. The, the worry, and I've sort of lucky enough have, have been pretty good with being able to keep my head in the moment and be able to think about, okay, work, work through situations and I think I've been able to think laterally enough and work through in my head situations that doesn't allow me to get to a spot to worry because I reckon that's reactive to something that I might not have thought about. But people around you always helps always be able to have people around to talk to. So who are your mentors during your career? So I, I was, yeah, naive young kid coming from um, school footy, just growing up in Adelaide, played my footy, did my schoolwork, and then come over to Geelong and into a high-performance environment. And, you know, it wasn't all smooth sailing. I took a while to get going, played a year in the VFL. I needed to develop lots of parts. You know, there was a footy element, then there was just understanding what the game is and what it, what it took from a commitment point of view. So I was lucky enough to had some senior players around me and I, I, I really clicked with a guy called Darren Milburn, played a lot of footy. He was an absolute gun player. But it was funny because, you know, he's an introvert person and wouldn't let a lot of people into his inner circle. I don't know how it all happened, but we had a really good relationship. You know, it was almost like um, yeah, brothers in a way. There was a, an underlying care, but, you know, he was, we were able to have some conversations around what, I could do in my game. So then what happened then was the fact that Dash just sort of let me in. I, I, I think that helped with getting respect off other senior players. And then when you're in that, you're able to have those conversations and they're able to make sure, you know, they're able to keep, keep me on the straight and narrow and push me and wanted me along on the journey to make sure that I was part of anything they were doing. So I, I was lucky in that respect. But even my peers, you know, Tom Wanigan and Harry Taylor and these sorts of guys, similar age profile to work through situations so then like I was talking before it's it's handy to have someone to bounce off things that you might be thinking through you whether it be grand final week and what you're experiencing there or whether you you know you've had a bad performance and yeah sometimes it's good to just dump that stuff and not not let it not stew on it and you still have a relationship with Darren now yeah no we do we do we're uh yeah he's, he's a good guy what footy clubs are really good for is you get to see people every day. So it's not not that type of everyday thing. Footy, in a way, we're really lucky. You know, there's a, there's a livelihood element to it, but there's also the friendship stuff to it. You know, I've been here for more than half my life and you end up spending so much time with each other because, not, you know, people come from all different states around Australia and different upbringings, but you've all, all of a sudden got a common theme or a common goal that you're all striving for. And when you're not at the footy club, Given that a lot of you have moved, or a lot of us had had moved to live in Geelong, you end up hanging out with the with the guys, you know, a lot of the time as well. What's one thing you've sort of implemented into your life that's had the biggest impact on your success? Is there a singular thing that perhaps you've implemented? I'm big on exercise. I like to feel good. I think that stems back from being an athlete for so long. Like it, it is a good feeling. Those endorphins 
flowing and uh, feeling good about yourself, even if it's the next day you're a bit sore, but it's, it's actually a good feeling. There's that element. I like to make sure that I get something out of every day without having a necessarily a real go-to, but yeah, just, just that healthy lifestyle sort of aspect to it. Okay, it's time for the buzzer beaters. So you've got five rapid fire questions. Yep. With fast answers. All right. Favorite Geelong teammate. What does this have to be? One. One. No, that's bad. I've taught. I've, I've given Dasher a real pump up. I love playing with him, and he was so good to me early days. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going with him. Chris Scott or Bomber Thompson. No, Chris Scott. Chris Scott's had a lot to do with shaping who I am, really. You know, I spent a lot of time, and, and Bomber did a great job too early days. As I've moved from a player into, you know, an admin role, Chris has been great for me on that journey. Best leader you've ever come across? Oh, it's hard to beat Joel Selwood. I could actually list eight or nine, and you might think, but you've only played under four or so captains. There's a lot of people that show a lot of attributes, and I, I think for people listening in, the, the, the really important thing and tell to a lot of people, even though you don't have that title, and I'm a big believer in this because it gets said a bit, you don't have to have the title to be a leader. Some of the, some of the people that have shaped our footy club and team and performance and um, culture haven't had titles along the way, but have been, been able to really influence what we are. So, But, um, you know, I've played a lot of footy with Joel and um, been so good for, for in a lot of ways, and I touched on a bit of that earlier. What's something you do to help deal with stress? Yeah, the exercise element to me and probably having a couple of people in my life that uh, I'm able to voice to. Lucky enough, internally here at the footy club, yeah, there's you know, some really good people around where you just don't want to work through certain things by yourself in a silo. So um, exercise and have someone you know, close enough to talk to. Advice to a young player after being dropped? Grab someone you really respect and go and have a real sit down as to and just get an alignment and, and a view on where you're at what sort of things might be the reasons behind it, find out the why. Once you've got that, flip straight into the what am I going to do now and what actions am I going to do to make sure that uh, I put myself in a really good spot going forward and, and not only come out of that but be better for it. Do it sooner rather than later. Straight onto it, the why, you know, someone that respect that can actually tell you everything, peel the Band-Aid off and, and get into it. And then um, the sooner you get into the solution mode, the better. Okay, well, uh, Andrew Mackey, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for joining us today. No, no worries, Nunny. Thanks for having me. And you, uh, yeah, you sounded very smart there, so well done. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Building Teams podcast. For more information about Nat and Nun Media, visit nunmedia.com.au. Follow the show for future episodes and leaving a review or rating helps others find the podcast. 